0: Well, hello, audience, again, here we go with another fantastic show today with a wonderful guest. I'll tell you about him in a minute, but let me ask you a question. How many of you in the audience, raise your hands, I know I can see you and hear you, are Dallas Cowboy fans? (laughs) Okay, that's number one question. Number two, how many of you would like to sit down and just have a casual discussion with one of the top NFL players? And number three, would any of you enjoy hearing from one of the greatest Dallas Cowboy fullbacks to talk about how he went from the field, the field field, to computer science field? All right, well, today I have the one and only Timmy Newsom with me today, with me to talk about what it was like when he was playing fullback for the Dallas Cowboys, and now what he's doing with his company, New Tech Business Solutions. So welcome, Timmy. I'm so glad you're with me Thank today. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I have to tell you and the audience what it was like when I met you in person. So the audience knows, I've told them many times, that I always have a pre-interview, mm-hmm. hopefully in person, if it's someone in Dallas. Right. And here's what I want you to know, audience. I walked into his office. Well, I didn't walk into his office. First, a big reception area, right? And so they called Timmy Newsom, and in came Timmy Newsom, just quietly, calmly, Stuck his hand out, shook his hand with the big smile that you can see on his face. And we walked down I don't know how many halls to (laughs) to get into his office. We sat down, and what was to be about a 30-minute discussion was two hours. Now, this is somebody famous. He didn't have to do that, Timmy. You didn't have to spend that much time. Why did you spend that much time with me?
2: I just enjoyed the conversations and the questions that you were asking me and the information that you were able to gather from meeting me and getting to know me better.
0: Well, and I did, and that's what we're going to talk about today.
2: Wonderful, look forward to it.
0: (laughs) So, first of all, I want to congratulate you because you were just inducted into the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. Thank you. Tell us what that means to you.
2: Well, it it means a lot because it's where I was born and raised. Mm -hmm. And it also is emblematic of what we did as a football team. We went undefeated two years in a row. And so it was a team effort. And I was so elated that my Mm -hmm. teammates could share in that moment. And so it was so special and my family got to share it as well. That's I cool. think my brothers were more excited about it than, than I was.
0: <laughs> so how many people were there to to clap and you? I smile would say j- just
2: under nine hundred.
0: Oh my goodness. Yes,
2: just under nine hundred.
0: Wow. Yes. Now Timmy, you had on <laughs> a red jacket. <laughs> I just had to laugh when you sent me the picture. Yes. Would you tell us about the red jacket?
2: Well, my Winston-Salem State University School's colors are red Uh and white, and I just thought it would be really neat to wear the jacket that uh, my teammates and I wore to be inducted into the Winston-Salem State University Sports Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And so when I found out that I was going to be inducted, I asked the executive director, would it be okay if I wore my red sports coat along with my teammates to show team unity? And so they agreed to allow me to do that.
0: Well, it definitely stood out.
2: Oh, it does. <laughs> <laughs> that was
0: that was really great. Yes. I mean, congratulations! That's that's quite an accomplishment. Thank you. As so many, so you enjoyed nine successful seasons in the NFL with the Dallas Cowboys. You scored thirty touchdowns. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, nope, that's an right. 30 NFL touchdowns. player, yes. 19 on the ground, 11 on receptions. Yes. What was it like when that ended?
2: Wow. I had such a wonderful run Um, and I played a long time, longer than I had anticipated, to be honest with you. Yes. Hmm. A running back's career is only around four years. And so I was able to play nine and uh, but still when it was over, Uh, There was some disappointment in knowing that I would never experience the kind of camaraderie that I did with my teammates again. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see each other occasionally, but what we had during my career was just purely magical. And so that's what I miss the most, even to this day.
0: And how many people do you stay in touch with fairly regularly?
2: Uh, I would say at least 10 to 12 of them. Do you? Yes. Yes. We could go have lunch every now and then or uh, meet someplace to have a conversation. And the Dallas Cowboys are very good about ensuring that we get together uh, in certain times of the year. So uh, it's more often than what one would think. Which is good. It is. It you really know,
0: is. old friends are always good, solid oh, friends. Yes, yes. It's good to meet new yes. ones, but.
2: And, and we get to tell all of these really tall stories and. <laughs> The further removed we are from the sport, the more creative the stories get.
0: Give us a story. (laughs) Tell us a story.
2: Well, there's always a slight exaggeration how good we were. Like the fish. That's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) And so uh, and then we talk about experiences, not so much during game day, Mm -hmm. but just things we did in training camp and the kind of fun we had while we were working so hard for those two hours twice a day for six weeks.
0: What was that like?
2: Um, Well, for us, it was fairly unique in that we would always travel to Thousand Oaks, California. Right. And it's beautiful weather. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the 10 years I was out there, it only rained once. And um, so we were able to get a lot of work in. But still, we were able to have conversations that have nothing to do with football. Mm -hmm. And we got to stay together for six weeks. And our dorm life was like four guys to a room.
0: Really? Yes.
2: Yeah. Four guys to a room. And you would think that would be a little complicated and uh, frustrating, but I loved it. You did? Yes, I loved it. I, I thought it was the greatest thing to be able to share those moments with guys that large in one room.
0: Well, since the days, uh, you were asked an interesting question you shared with me recently. And I'm going to ask the same question. Mm-hmm. And that is... What's one thing in sports that you didn't know then that you wished you had known?
2: Mm. Well, I think the thing I missed the most is that while I was playing, I wasn't necessarily assertive enough. Uh, I pretty much just did what coaches asked me to do and did it very well. Um, Occasionally, I probably should have gone to Coach Slander and said, you what? You know what, Coach, I think it would be a really good idea if I carried the ball just a little bit more or I can be used in a different way than the way I was used. But in the heat of the moment for those nine years, mm-hmm. you just kind of went along with whatever they decided to do on my behalf. But being a little bit more assertive, I think I sh- probably should have take, taken more stock in and have done that.
0: There's a lesson in that in life, isn't
2: it there? It is, it really is.
0: How does that play out?
2: Well, there's always a very fine line in asking for something and being able to produce. Oh. And so if I asked for it and it didn't work out, then the aftermath can be somewhat disastrous. Think. And so in the back of my mind, if I had asked for something like that and all of a sudden I had a, an injury, that would keep me sidelined for a few weeks. So they would put in these packages and all of a sudden I'm not available. Mm -hmm. And so I have to be very careful about asking for something like that because if it doesn't work out, then it creates frustration.
0: At least. Yes.
2: At the very least. (laughs) At least. Yes.
0: You know, Timmy, I'm going to throw some questions at you. And I just want you to uh, come back with whatever
2: (laughs) comes out of
0: your beautiful head. Okay. Okay. Uh, Your mom and a a husky. A husky. A husky. husky. Yes. Yes.
2: Well, it was a great experience. It's a small town, the population was around 5,000. My mother was a school teacher, my father was an automobile mechanic and a farmer.
0: Mm, and both? I, yes. How do you do both?
2: Well, we would work mostly in the summer for the farming and then the automobile mechanics piece he would do uh, pretty much year round. But he would take time off over the summer months and someone else would come help do the mechanic piece for him. Oh so we were able to get both in. So I was always busy. There was always something to do when I was a child and even growing up through high school.
0: And how many siblings?
2: Uh, I have five brothers and sisters, and I'm next to the baby.
0: Oh, and you weren't babied, probably.
2: No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. I got away with a lot, though.
0: Well, what was it like as a child?
2: Uh, It was a wonderful experience because um, my parents lived on one street, and my grandmother and uncles lived... Just uh, across from what separated us by an apple tree and grapes. And there was a path that ran <laughs> between it. And so it was wonderful to be in that environment and grow up and spend time with cousins and aunts and uncles and things Family. of that nature. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yes. And you said that is the name is an Indian name. It's
2: an Indian name. Say yes. it again. A hosky.
0: Isn't that interesting? Yeah. A husky.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: All right. Another word, expectations.
2: Um, you know, the expectations in my household growing up were enormous, but it wasn't a pressurized type of expectations. It was more environmental and what you could witness. So hmm. I had um, older cousins who were doing certain things with their lives. And so I got to see how they progressed through life and their expectations were pretty high. And so I was able to emulate some of the things that they were doing. I'll give you an example. My oldest cousin played basketball at the University of Indiana for the Hoosiers. And so I got to witness his maturation of going from high school and going out to Indiana to play basketball. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another, his brother, uh, played football at Duke and went to Duke on a football scholarship. So, uh, I got to see him do that. And then my two brothers, uh, I had one brother who played at a pretty high level in high school and decided not to play at all in college. And my other brother played at a high level in high school and got to go to UNC Chapel Hill and play football as a freshman
0: that's That's such great information about just family. When we talked, Timmy, you told me about watching other kids and and having aspirations for, you said, the white kids. Mm-hmm. Tell us that story.
2: Well, I was very fortunate in some ways because uh, first of all, This landmark ruling in Brown versus the Board of Education happened in 1954. And the Supreme Court ruled unanimously that the separate but equal doctrine was unconstitutional. And that ruling came down on May 17th, 1954, which is the day I was born a few years later. So my parents felt it was necessary for me to go to an all white school at a very early age. Mm. And it was the most eye-opening and wonderful experience I think Mm -hmm. I've ever had, because when I got there, sure, there were some teachers and classmates that may not have wanted me there. But what was interesting was I was determined not to go back to an all-black school. And so I found a way to fit in. I found a way to get along. I didn't make any waves about my blackness or anything of that nature. I just wanted to be a part of a culture that I knew nothing about. Mm -hmm. And it was so wonderful to experience on a daily basis. So from 730 in the morning to 330 in the afternoon, I got to experience another culture. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I would go home and be around uh, friends that I've, you know, known all my life Mm -hmm. at that stage in my life. And so to ensure that I got... um, what I needed from a black perspective, my mother, who was a school teacher, would teach me black history. After I did my normal studies, she would uh, put on a film or a film strip and have me learn about W.E.B. Du Bois, Frederick Douglass, Mary McLeod Bethune, um, um, Paul Robeson, mm-hmm. those kind of uh, famous people of the black perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I had the best of both worlds and loved it.
0: Isn't that beautiful? Yes. Where are we today?
2: Good question. Um, When I look at places I go, I don't see an integrated society in the sense of education. Uh, We've gone back from, in some ways, of separating ourselves Um, although all of the vestiges of uh, racial inequality have been largely dismantled because of the laws, Mm -hmm. there's still this divide that I see. And I can't really explain why that is, except for the fact that it's not where it needs to be, but it's a lot better than it was. Mm
0: -hmm. So if you were talking to any minority teenager, what would you give as a piece of advice to make a difference?
2: Um, just stay colorblind. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, when I meet people, they may see me as someone who is African American or black. But when I start the conversation, my goal is to make them see me just like they see themselves. And we have the same shared experiences and the same aspirations. Mm -hmm. And so very seldom do I discuss what color I am. I talk about substance, Yes. but I don't spend my time talking about color because, I mean, let's face it, I'm part white and I'm part Cherokee Indian. Really? And I'm also part black.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's (laughs) interesting.
2: (laughs) So I tell people I'm a mutt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: have you ever had the uh, ancestry?
2: I have not. I have not. Uh, I only go on the environment to which I was raised. <laughs> my mother's mother was half Cherokee Indian.
0: Is that yes. right? Yes. And on
2: my father's side, there were uh, some white cousins. Fascinating. So it's, uh, it was a really interesting way to see the world uh, as a child.
0: One of the things that you shared as a teachable point of view is exactly what you're saying. Have more substance than style.
2: Precisely. I think that carries a person a long way more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I normally would mean by that is anytime you're faced with challenges, it's your substance that's going to be sustaining and everlasting. Mm -hmm. The style will come and go. Mm. But it's the substance that's going to carry you through those tough times, and having that substance is going to get you through the times that uh, you may think are hopeless. Mm-hmm. But as long as you stay true to those convictions, mm-hmm. over time things will tend to work themselves out.
0: Is there any story behind that where a substance has taken you through? And sure. what did that look um, like?
2: I'll give you an example. When I uh, entered Winston-Salem State University as a freshman, mm-hmm. Uh, The first thing I asked is, where was the locker room? (laughs) Well, we don't have one. What do you mean you don't have a locker room? I mean, where does a football team dress? Well, you dress in your dorm room. Hmm, okay. All right, well, show me where the weight room is. Well, we don't really have one of those either. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You don't have a weight room? No, we don't have a weight room. So... Then I tried to figure out, I said, "Okay, they don't have these amenities. How am I supposed to win?
0: No kidding.
2: You know, what am I supposed to do to be successful? And what I realized was it's not the material things that was going to sustain me. It's the relationships i built with my teammates who could overlook those things and focus on what was really important. Mm -hmm. And that was getting up every day, listening to the coaches going out to practice and being proficient at the things we were asked to do. And sooner or later, I forgot about the fact that we didn't have those amenities that were necessary because it wasn't necessarily in and of itself a predictor of whether or not we won or lost. It's how we thought about each other inside. And so that first year we went four and six without any equipment, anything to cling on. That following year, we went undefeated
0: No kidding.
2: with the same environment in terms of equipment. And so it was that moment that I realized that all those material things weren't necessarily important. But here's the thing. Once we proved to university officials that we could win without them, mm. we were able to get all of what we needed and then some. And so that's the beauty of it mm. is finding a way to... Drown out all that noise and all that complaining because it's easy, easy to complain, Mm -hmm. but just focus on the mission. And the mission was to try to be productive and successful on the football field each and every Saturday to where we could be relevant enough to demand the things that we always felt like we deserved. And so that's what we were able to do.
0: Timmy, I think I'd like to just play that one piece over and over and over again. Mm -hmm very wise. And can you take that to today in business? Because we're having the great resignation. We're having people that still uh, are pretty much resigned to work from home, even be willing to quit their job to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's such a different environment. So the disciplines, the things you just talked about. How does that apply or should it apply to the business environment, particularly as leaders? That's who my audience is, people who are leaders and emerging leaders.
2: Well, Coach Landry used to always say adversity is not nearly as important as how you handle it. That's good. And so whenever in business I'm faced with those challenges, I just hearken back on the days of my time at Winston-Salem State University Mm. and say, okay, well, what resources do I need in business to be successful? And if I don't have those resources, what are the other things I can do to counteract that and stay positive in the things that are most important? And so that experience in college has led me to a 30 year career uh, in business, and it has not been perfect. There has been peaks and valleys along the way. There have been times I'm wondering what in the world am I doing (laughs) and why am I doing it?
0: But 30 years, 30
2: years later, I'm still in the game. And that's the important thing. As long as you're still in the game, you have a chance.
0: That's another teachable point of view. That's super good. Yes. I want to go back on that very thing to how in the heck did you go from running on the field to running as a CEO of your company and tell us about New Tech
2: Business Solutions? Sure. Um, Well, it started in college. And because of the facilities and the way that they were not present, uh, I realized that I might need to kind of switch my focus to be more academic oriented. And so my ambition initially was to major in health and physical education.
0: Oh, that would make sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: But I didn't think it was going to be in my best interest long term to do that at Winston-Salem State. Mm-hmm. So, during my freshman year, I was in the registration line, begin, beginning to register for classes. And there was a guy in front of me and we had a struck up a conversation. And, you know, he was asking me how I was doing and I told him I was playing football. And I said, you know, I don't think I'm gonna play very long. He says, why? I said, well, it's just very frustrating. And I'm gonna have to think of something else to do because I need to switch my major. And I asked him what he was majoring in, so he told me and said, "Hmm, OK, so by the time I got to the registrar's desk, I changed my major now to what I changed it from business. I changed it from health and physical education uh-huh. to business administration and minor in computer science,
0: computer science, right. amazing.
2: But let's put that in context. Health and physical ed- as, a, as a health and physical education major is a very difficult major in colleges. It's not easy. It's a lot of science involved. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that much of a stretch to switch to business administration and computer science. So from there, I just started focusing on something that had nothing to do with sports, that was purely focused on the technical aspects of business and then the computers, which was still in its infancy, you know, Uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs were in their garages at that time, (laughs) learning the nuances of uh, computers and the software industry. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I graduated, uh, I was ready to go out and to do something different other than sports. Well, I got drafted. And so I come to Dallas, play out the season and Gil Brandt, who's a player personnel director, asked me what I wanted to do in the offseason. And I said, well, I'd like to be a computer programmer. It was what I was trained to do in college. He says, okay, well, I'll help you find a job. And so he did. And so um, my job was to write computer software for financial institutions, specifically automated teller machines, those ATM machines that people now enjoy. Uh And so it was a very new industry at that time. So we wrote software for it. And I did that my whole career from eight in the morning to three in the Mm -hmm. afternoon from January until June. That's what I was doing. And after three o'clock, I would drive over to the training facility and work out. And so that's kind of how I was able to stay involved in the technology sector.
0: That's amazing. What exactly does New Tech do?
2: Well, what we do today is we sell voice over IP telephone systems and software. Mm -hmm. And so we take the telephone system and we make it Uh, more interactive to give people a a more uh, creative experience with the customer. So someone, for example, calls into a location, it pops up on the screen who that customer is. Mm -hmm. So there's a database with that customer's information on it. That database could be either a Microsoft product or Salesforce or some other CRM solution mm-hmm. that they've already entered information about their customer. So we take that software and we take that phone and merge the two. I see. So that's what we do.
0: So what would be one of your kinds of companies that you've worked um, with?
2: Any, any company that has to use a phone, which is almost everybody. <laughs>
0: oh, that's a good target audience.
2: Right. Anywhere from two, a two-person business all the way up to a few thousand. We have what's called a call center that we can install software into a business's environment where they can uh, man telephone calls into the thousands. So it just depends.
0: And 30 years? And
2: 30 years later, we're still in the game.
0: That's, That's such an interesting story. Yes. Let me go back to some words. Okay. All right. Habits.
2: They can be good or bad. I like to think that I've got good habits um, in the sense that uh, I try to have a routine every day. I get up in the morning at four o'clock oh, and I try to work out, get my workout in and whatever I do, it needs to be done by eight. And that's every day. And so doing that puts me into a nice frame of mind about how I need to conduct my day Mm -hmm. and get it going. So that's very important for me.
0: Four o'clock. That's discipline. Yes. Joyful.
2: Being around friends. There's nothing nothing more rewarding than being around friends mm-hmm. and family. Although I don't see my family a lot in person, mm-hmm. we speak often over the phone. And so that what that's what brings me joy. And of course, um having that time together mm-hmm. is really important.
0: And you take time with friends, I know. Oh, yes. Which is We should. We should. Um, Excellence.
2: It's doing things consistently over and over again and feeling like you've improved on a day to day basis. Um, I've always taken things that I've wanted to do and just take little baby steps and have patience. Mm -hmm. For me, it's about having patience about doing things. So that's what Mm -hmm. that's about.
0: That so resonates because I've done that with the podcast for four years. Yes. Step by step, baby steps, excellence. Yes. Homework, Mm -hmm. research. That's exactly right. (laughs) Uh, And and that's actually one of your teachable points of view. Do something better every day, which is great. Creative.
2: Um, I've always enjoyed getting out of my comfort zone. Give you an example. When I played football, the most I'd ever run was. Two miles Uh, in 2014, I had a friend that I was on the treadmill at uh, one of the athletic clubs and I was walking and running. And he said, I think you can do a 5K. I said, well, okay, well, maybe. But that's not a lot. I'm going to get out of bed and go do a 5K. And it's going to take me more time to get out of bed to get there (laughs) than to do it. I said, let's, you know, set our sights a little higher. He says, well, let's try half marathon. And so I said, okay. so I started training for a half marathon and uh, my first my first half marathon was uh, late 2014. And then I did a few and then I decided to do a marathon. And so I went from a half marathon to a marathon and my friends call me crazy, but I love it. It's Mm -hmm. my time to go out and just run. Mm Be by myself to think I'd solve a whole lot of problems running nine, ten miles on a weekend. It's so wonderful and it's so refreshing.
0: That's That to me is just fo- so fascinating because to, to say that you solve a lot of problems while you're running. And you're not the first runner that has told me that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to try it. <laughs> 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 okay. Bored.
2: I am rarely bored. I do so much and I've got so many things on my plate that um, boredom is not part of my vocabulary. I'm constantly trying to do new things. For example, I was never a swimmer until Hmm. the pandemic hit. And so we shut down and I said, "Okay, I'm going to learn to swim as soon as we open up again. And so I've been learning to swim ever since and I'm pretty good at it.
0: Really? Yeah, you like it?
2: I love it. It's very therapeutic. It's very relaxing. Uh, it's quiet in the water. Mm-hmm. And so now that I'm able to swim, one of these days, I am going to do a mini triathlon.
0: I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I can't imagine, but I can't imagine. If you say you're going to do that, I, I believe you. Yes. So, tell me a joke.
2: A joke. Interesting. Um, Hmm. Man. I don't really know jokes. <laughs> I, I can't. Th- I can't think of one. You mean you, you've, st- you've got me stumped?
0: I got you stumped. Yes. I can't imagine yeah. being around all those other cowboys and friends, and they you're not telling jokes, huh? Well,
2: my teammates were better at it than I am. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know any jokes.
0: Well, then I'll take it here. What makes you laugh?
2: Oh gosh, um, I can find humor in just about anything. Uh, but I, I would have to say the one thing that I laugh about more than anything else is probably watching situation comedy on TV mm-hmm. and looking at people do things that they shouldn't have done that they can laugh about. <laughs> and I I guess that's what kind of is more intriguing to me than anything else. It's just watching them do things and they make fun of themselves Mm -hmm. because they're not taking themselves too seriously. And it's kind of funny to see.
0: And and thank goodness. We've got some really good, funny sitcoms. What's the silliest thing you've ever done?
2: The silliest thing I've ever done. (laughs) Um, I would probably say when I was in Maui, I took a trip to Hana, mm-hmm. and I said, "Lord, if you ever <laughs> let me get out of here, I <laughs> promise you, I won't make this mistake again." Is not it? And insane. so, yeah, I took this this car,
0: rode to Hana, in rode Hawaii, to Hana in Hawaii, yeah, uh-huh.
2: and uh, I was terrified. Were just, you? Oh, just terrified. And I said, if you ever let me out of here, I won't ever do anything this stupid again.
0: <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. I haven't done it, but I've heard that. Timmy, is there anything you want to
2: ask me? I think you've covered everything. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it has been a pleasure. I have, I have tried to get you for a long time. Thanks to my friend, Delta Emerson, who knew you. Oh, yes. Wonderful person. Wonderful. It's not easy to get people that are so famous. And here's the deal. You're so real. I try to be and authentic yeah,
2: thank you and that's thank what you. the
0: show is about
2: yes indeed thank you Phil, so much for having me it's yeah. been a
0: pleasure thank you sir and i wish all you right. all god's blessings and more 30 more years at least with new tech business Solutions. A- at
2: least that'll put me over 100 but that's at fine at least
0: <laughs> still, still running still running yeah. all right audience uh what a great interview right i want you to come back next week and you'll have another great guest and until then stay authentic, stay real because people will love you for that there just aren't many around these days
1: bye for now thanks for listening to receive Valerie's voice free monthly leadership tips and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching visit her website valerieandcompany.com next week we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right until then Lead authentically.